welcome to Duck Podcast, episode 4, iBrick. Welcome back to the Duck Podcast. I'm Joel Adria, your host, with here with Kevin Lau. Hello, Kevin. Greetings. Um, so this is episode 4, and we've actually managed to improve again upon last episode's quality. Uh, we've just, uh, Kevin just got a new USB mic, so he sounds a bit, um, less bassy. Weird, but yeah, yeah. But it's better. It, it's, <laughs> it's good. It's improvement. No more laptop noise and having to go into his soundproof room to, you know, keep the noise out. So it's well, good. Yeah. Um, we on the agenda, we have... Okay, so I came up with a little list of topics. Um, I thought we'd touch on the iPod Touch <laughs> screen issues. Um, I have a Mac pick of the week. I think we should try to find a new application every week, and one for Mac, one for Windows. Um, and we can have our recommendations every week. What do you think? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, is, your, is your suggestion this week task list? Um, yeah, I we'll talk about that in a sec, um, because I'm torn between the two applications. Uh, and we thought we'd also talk about USB 3.0, the iBrick, and the new dig that is coming out sometime this evening. Uh, so we're just going to start off with the iPod Touch. Um, I know everybody knows that I was very excited about the iPod Touch when it came out. I was like, I'm totally buying this, I'm totally buying this, I'm totally buying this. Um, it's 8 millimeters thin, but... Uh, people started receiving them, and apparently there's a bit of an issue with the screen. Um, I've read one sort of response to it. It's from an LCD panel engineer who says that basically they've they didn't apply the anti-reflective um, layer to the screen. Coding, coding, coding. That's that's the right term. Um, so that when you so that when you look at it from certain angles it's not going to look out right and so i mean you can look at the apple forums and everywhere else everybody sort of has a different opinion on the thing um but from the polls it looks about 25 percent of these ipods have this sort of issue and what it, it basically the problem is that you end up with uh the blacks aren't as crisp as they are on the iphone um, it's, it's the difference because like on the iphone the LCD panel is totally glued, or at least like some kind of bonding to glass. Whereas right. on the eye, uh, on the eye touch, as we call it, it's not really. It's just two pieces of glass on top of an LCD, not connected. Right. And when I when I looked at the iFixit disassembly, it looked like they were. I think it's actually screwed, screw bonded. So I mean, that's you know, Apple's been cutting cost obviously on this iPod Touch. I mean, they're gonna be selling probably quite a few of them. So. Uh, trying to probably trying to make the profit margins as you know high as possible, but I don't know. I mean, it ha it did make me say, okay, well, I better wait. And and what this guy on the forum said is that basically you should wait until, you know, that basically a lot of times they'll rush it, and that's what happens is you get sort of these problems with the display. I never really explained the the issue, but basically, um, you get these inverted blacks, and so you'll, if you look at it in landscape mode, you'll be watching a video, and all the blacks sort of look inverted, almost like a, you know, um, it's sort of hard to explain. You can look on on the web. Um, you'll just Google iP iPod Touch, and you'll find some some results. Um, so I'm definitely gonna be waiting. Thing. I'm gonna be waiting. 
but that'd be the same effect as if you're looking at a standard LCD panel on the on the side, like because you know normally you're supposed to be looking at them on the right way, which means that you're having a correct angle. Because LCDs like the angle matters when you're right. Watching. And so I mean, what the, what they're saying with the iPhone is that it it was designed to be both ways, um, and that basically, yeah, I mean that it doesn't really work. You know, that they're saying that the angle is just off, you know, that's life. But the problem is, is you looking at it straight on, and they were saying how, like, that's not supposed to happen. When you're looking straight on, you're supposed to be able to see crisp blacks like it should be. So, I mean, look around, um, and I'm basically going to be waiting until uh, we hear of people who, you know, less people who are complaining of this issue, um, and that they clear this from their... From their uh, assembly line thing inventory so yeah um okay so maybe we should do the the mac pick and win pick of the week at the end of the show what do you think all right okay so one well let's just start with dig so there's a new dig coming out um and, and it's basically becoming more social networking-esque Right, so it's almost going to be like a, a Facebook or uh, MySpace type thing. Uh, they let they they let you have a complete profile. Of course, I haven't actually tried this out because they they're going to be releasing it tonight. We're we're recording here on the nineteenth, and and so tonight they're supposed to be launching it. Um, and basically, you get to it's it's very much social, and of course, Dig has always been social. I mean, it's it, without social, you'd have no Dig, but it's more of a you know sharing with your friends your stories so you can you have a f profile page you can add multiple pictures uh alerts from friends when they update their profile you can share stories much easier so that it, it gets sent over to people's profiles when they log in they or he said when they log in but do you think it'll be when you visit your homepage because i just stay logged in what do you think well i guess <laughs> yeah probably you know like it, Probably when you visit, it'll give you a list of, of stories that people have shared with you, you know, that they think is cool. Um, some really neat stuff. Uh, if you're a right dig now, user. Your way of seeing what your friends like is just seeing what your friends have dug so far. And then this takes it a step further and you get to actually like share it to people and they'll just pop on your front page, I think. That's what I can see from the video that they've released. Right. So, so, um, Right now, like Kevin and I, we share stories. We, it's literally like, I have this system. It's like, Command L, Command C, um, Alt Tab Mail, Command N, Command V, and then, or actually, I I have a group, so I set it up and then email it to all my friends and then say this is awesome. So I mean, there are features in Dig already that you let you email a bit easier, but this is really great because I can just say, um, share with Kevin and it'll be sent off and and he can. He can look at it, look at it, and read it, and and post feedback. I mean, the, the, apparently there's gonna be a total message. Totally, there's gonna be a total message system, so you can post things back and forth. And I think but this is like pounce meets dig. Yeah, that was one interesting thing. I mean, what is pounce? Well, well, whatever pounce is, you know, we'll talk about pounce. But uh, so that's the new dig. If you're a dig user. Uh, you can look forward to that and rolling out on the evening of the 19th. So by the time you get this, you'll probably, you'll probably already be launched. So enjoy the new dig. 
Uh, next story, <laughs> as they say on Dignation, uh, USB 3.0. Thoughts? It's nuts because I think they're keeping the same connector, right? Except they're just integrating optical into it. No, I, I don't think it's the same connector. It looked like a giant firewire thing. Interesting. But yeah. uh, like from what I understand, from what I've read so far, it's got a sort of the same connector... And it's supposed to be compatible with previous USB 2.0, 1.0, 1.1 devices, meaning that the connector is going to be the same. I think if it's going to be have that kind of backwards compatibility. Okay, so so, yeah. so basically, the big improvement here is that it's going to be running over optical, which we all know is fabulous. That's how most of the the backbone of the internet is run on, and it's run on fiber. So it's. It's going to be. Is it going to be four? It's a different kind of fiber. I mean, you're going to yeah, be like. Yeah, right, right. For short runs, you're going to be like plastic optic, more like. Right. Whereas um, real fiber is actually glass strands. That's right. But, uh, you know, more or less, it, it's, it's running on optical. And it's going to be. They said 10 times the current speed. The current speed is 40, 480 megabits per second, which we all know no one ever achieves. Um, but. So maybe when they do 10 times, we'll actually get 480. <laughs> uh, well, right now, not a lot of things can fully support the 480. Your hard drive might not be able to, unless you have a SATA hard drive, like it might not be able to handle all of that. Your digital camera flash card, maybe, but that's still... Yeah, I still like, think that flash isn't that fast. Like I was reading today um, about the Corsair... Uh, something GT, and it's basically the fastest flash drive. It's only like 30 megabytes a second, which uh, I don't know how that converts to megabits. About maybe 100 at the most, right? So, I mean, flash isn't that fast. Um, you're still limited by what you're connecting to, and I don't think there's anything out there that is more than 480. I mean, except for network, but no one networks with USB, so... I just found that, like, you know, same thing with drives. I mean, with, with drives, the most yeah, you're getting drives, is 25, like, 30 you... megabytes a second. Hmm. Um, Unless you have a RAID 0 array or some... I guess that's true. If you do have a RAID, you're, you're going to be able to get that speed boost. Um, if you're From in... parallel writing and reading. Right, if you're using a scary RAID, as MacBreak Tech would refer to it as. Uh so, there you go, USB 3.0. How does this fit into wireless USB? Do you know? Well, no. <laughs> wireless optical USB, that would be interesting. Well. I wonder, I wonder if they'll implement USB on the go onto this, too. Probably will. What, what's, wireless, what's USB on the go? USB on the go is sort of like, uh, you know, ad hoc USB. Like, it's, there's no real host or, or client. Uh, the Texas Instruments calculators use them now instead of the old proprietary connect cable now it's just a usb cable between the calculators you can hook it up to a hub oh, okay call them together so that's what that's what the new okay so it's almost like how firewire can do um peer-to-peer -peer. except it's designed to be like for portable devices oh, okay. so you don't need a computer wired bluetooth then <laughs> um yeah so wireless USB is, of course, is another standard that's that's emerging. Um, lets you make USB connection. At surprising, it's because it's on the um, it's on ultra wideband, 
what it's called. Ultra wideband what? Wireless USB. It's on ultra wideband, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can get actually 480 megabits per second um, over this Netflix. wireless USB. Pardon me? You're two inches away from the antenna, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think this is that's still your, that's a your work in progress. Maximum, which you almost never achieve, even on cable. Like we were talking about, we didn't, you never really achieve the maximum maximum speed. So. Right. So, you know, new USB specs to look forward, basically forward to. Basically, they're they're saying that 2009, 2010, will it that you actually see this? USB 3.0 in your devices. Um, and basically, I think by 2008, they want to finalize the spec, and then it takes about one to two years for it to actually show up in devices. So you can look forward to that. Um, assuming Do you know if our the flash USB 3.0 standard offers more power output or something? Because you uh, know, USB is very popular for power. I don't think so. USB 3.0, I mean, it's still powered, but I think it's using the... the uh, um, copper, copper yeah, obviously, wires obviously. for power. No, well, yeah. No. Um, We're gonna have like solar power through optical, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, that would be really See, the, efficient. The, yeah, the main difference between USB and FireWire is that USB has like major overhead, so 480 megabits per second is burst speed. Right. It can't sustain that. FireWire can is is better at sustaining high speeds. Right, because it's a peer to peer peer to peer based um, connection versus. Uh, However. USB is much more versatile. How, like, right. Like, okay, FireWire has like about like three or four profiles for the modes that's using. Like, say, if you have a eyesight, it'll be using the IDC profile, so it can just stream raw video through it without using like packets and like without adding overhead. And then same with right. TV, that's another profile. It's just like Bluetooth. Right, and unlike that's how, that, USB, that's how it where it's just the driver-free operation. Right, and USB is entirely um, packet-based. No matter what you're doing, you're doing it over packets, right? Yeah. Which offers more compatibility with a lot of things, but but more drivers doing... and more yeah. less speed. Um, okay, so there was some article, an article. Okay, I'm just going to mention that Ars Technica is pretty awesome. I'm really starting to warm to Ars Technica. Um, I think it's Ars Technica. Is it Ars Technica? How do you pronounce ARSTechnica.org or something. Um, hopefully that's how you pronounce it. Uh, really interesting articles. It's it's a lot like Engadget minus the insanely long ads, pages and pages of ads. I, I really sort of prefer them over Engadget for some reason. Whatever. Uh, interesting an analysis of what they call a nice, you know, the, the, they end the article with saying that you know the iBrick, the new product from Apple, and they're saying that. Well, it's people who try to unlock their. Right. So there's been a lot of iPhone unlocks, especially in the last week with this new iUnlock. It's basically this open source solution to unlock your iPhone so you can use it on any carrier. Um, a lot of people have been doing this, and the reason why they were saying that it's quite you know risky is that you're actually modifying the firmware of the packet radio inside the phone. You're not changing any software. You're actually modifying the firmware. So so what they're saying is that you could actually have an issue where um, Apple comes along with their new uh, version 1.1 with you know the iTunes Music Store and all the international new features, and 
basically it comes and expects you to have the default firmware in your rate packet radio comes along adds an update and bricks your iphone um which would be pretty bad i mean it would be sort of like you know apple sort of saying serves you right but you know you hope that they do a checksum on the firmware and make sure that you're using the original firmware and not sort of explode some thing with the firmware and ruin your radio on your iPhone. I mean, it's totally possible. And it's they're basically saying that if you're, you know, 1.1 is coming out any minute now, any hour, you know, who knows when Apple's going to be releasing it. And you need to be make sure, making sure that you're not just up, d updating your iPhone because you could be bricking it on the spot. So I guess the next thing we're going for is disable auto-updates. <laughs> Right, and I mean, it's not auto-update. You need to say, yes, I want to update my iPhone, and you can just say no. Um, so, I mean, you want to be really careful with that uh, because you could end up with a brick, eye brick. Uh, so, is there anything we wanted to talk about? Pounce, maybe? Eye beef. Eye beef? Yes, the new meat from Apple. <laughs> that was just a random comment. Okay. Yeah, I think I mentioned that <laughs> yeah. the other day. I said I beef, and then we all laughed. Yeah. No, we were no. They were talking about I beef, and we're oh, I beef. right, right. That's right. The international baccalaureate program. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when you say it too fast, it sounds like I beef. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. Pounce. I think this this topic has been drilled down to death by the millions of bloggers of the world who think it's totally ridiculous, and I totally agree with them. Dig Dig's founder Kevin Rose and a bunch of other people who are into the Web 2.0 thing, including me, but whatever, um, came together. They built this program, this web program called Pounce. It's invite only, and basically the idea is that you send around. Um, files and share them with friends and images and you can sort of do Twitter-like things with it. Uh, it doesn't really do anything fancy that you can't do already, though. Um, there's a limit on of 10 megabytes um, on each file. So you're very limited to what you can do and it's invite-only and it's really sort of pointless. And so everybody's sort of making fun of... Just... Um, so we have uh, Professor... Marco Adria here as a special guest on our podcast. Uh, he would like to say a few words for, for you guys. Thanks, Joel. Uh, just a note uh, to all of you folks out there to uh, give, a, give a listen to my podcast. Uh, it's uh, called the Communications and Technology Podcast. Author is Dr. Marco Adria. Give it a listen. Uh, it's all about uh, new media and how we can understand and use uh, these technologies. Uh, Nice to talk to you folks. Keep listening. So, Dr. Marco Idra, do you, where where can we find your your podcast online? If you search for community communications and technology podcast, you should find it there or under my name Marco Adria. So that he's he's hosted on podcastspot.com, so you can also try searching there, you might find it there. He's also in the iTunes Music Store or sorry, iTunes Podcast Directory if you want to look him up. So, uh, pounce. Yeah, not music store. We don't cut pay. We don't yeah, I wish we. I wish people bought our show. <laughs> um, so, pounce. Um, 
ridiculous product. I think, yeah. I think it's dead already. Um, I don't. Have you seen it anywhere? Like nobody's been mentioning it. I haven't, haven't gotten really any invites. Totally pointless. Well, I think Google does a better job of collaboration and things. Right. Oh, right. So, uh, G Present or Google Presentation has been released. What do you think? And base and yeah, it's really nice. It's like virtual projector, except over the internet, so you don't need to install any software. So, like web applications are really good when they're done well. Like Google does web applications really great. Right. So it's 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 Google PowerPoint, um, essentially. Uh, it's in with your Google Docs. If you log, if you have Google Docs, you can log in and and check that out. Very, very basic at this stage. Um, very beta. Well, I wouldn't say beta, but very basic features. You can you have about you know two dozen themes, which I I pointed out basically look like some engineer on his twenty percent of go do something time at Google just sort of went out into the G backyard and and took random pictures of the of the the grass etc. You know, it was very very cheesy themes, I thought, but. So you pick a theme and you can do some slides. There's no animations, which to me, I mean, I guess if you're okay, I'll, I'll finish that thought in a second. Um, it it has so it has themes and and no animations though. Uh, what's really neat, it's just like Google Docs and spreadsheets. You can absolutely uh, share it. So I mean, you can be working on the same presentation at one time. Uh, you can make changes and what's really neat is you can present it so you you hit share this presentation or play this presentation and you can invite people to come and watch and they log in and it's just like a sort of virtual slideshow um my my thing is that it's a bit i don't know there's something i think there's just way more solutions out there that already do this sort of thing um for me i use mostly slideshows for uh you know sort of a media level so i mean i'm not i i need those animations to look cool and and it needs to be live and and high quality sort of thing um but i right. think this would be good for just if you need to share ideas in a powerpoint form uh, it's 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 a great way of doing that. I think a lot of people use PowerPoint to do photo slideshows, which is the wrong thing to do, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think this is going to solve that. I think that's the major market for PowerPoint for about 50% of the people who use it. Um, but for the actual the other 50% of the actual business users who are using this to present things, I think I think it could be very useful. Especially when people are, you know, halfway around the world and they can't physically attend a presentation or something, uh, it's it resembles go to meeting somewhat. But of course, there's the Google. We have tons of space thing, and then the Google works free, which is really good. Right. Well, Google has, does a good way of putting in ads, which don't totally annoy you. Right. So I mean, it's very efficient at 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 getting the job done well. It's simple. There's probably some more elegant solutions that do a bit more for you. But I mean, this is this is Google's solution to that, and you can check that out in your Google Docs. Yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't work for us because we t tend to like make really complicated slideshows in or video in other applications, and then use PowerPoint or presentation applications to just control it and just queue video. Right, we're the we're um, the PowerPoint power users. We're the ones who use it to play videos and and as. Kevin likes to use PowerPoint as text overlays. I, I don't actually use PowerPoint. I use Keynote as my presentation. 
uh, controller, but Kevin uses PowerPoint as a way to uh, put text on top of, of yeah. videos and his TV broadcasts, etc. So. It's a good way to do it live because um, cause PowerPoint, you can just paste anything into PowerPoint and if you set the, the magical transparent layer onto onto the slide master, everything becomes transparent. So if you're playing like live TV input on Dscaler or something, then you run PowerPoint on top of that, you have live overlays. Oh, so that's how you do it. You have a transparency layer. Okay, I never really quite understood how you did that. Basically, you go to Dscaler, put into very full screen mode, then hit print screen, and now you have the magical overlay color, which is, I have no idea if that's even a color, but you paste it into PowerPoint and everything becomes transparent. You can see things right through PowerPoint. Oh, so you're using the bug of Windows to, as a feature. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's it's basically in Windows if you've ever it's, tried it's to take a... It's not quite a bug as is it's like a required for video. DRM type thing or something. Basically, if you, if you try this right now, play a video back in, in any video player, Windows Media Player, anything you need, hit print screen and then try to paste it into Microsoft Paint. You'll notice it'll be there, but then you save it, save it somewhere, close the video player, and you'll notice you'll open the Paint document again, and it's black. Um, it, it's actually not uh, DRM. It's, it's not DRM. Uh, yeah, it DRM. has to do with the way M Windows manages Windows, right? No, basically, it's useful for fast computers, which are... You want live video from your TV card, so you don't want to have like a minute delay on it, right? So, how overlays do this is basically it opens a big hole, a transparent hole in your desktop. So while everything else on your window is bitmapped and stuff coming from the video card, the video card just like opens a hole for it. And then your TV card will just stream video direct into the video card, skipping all of the operating system and everything. It just goes right into the big hole. So it fills that in so it's as fast as possible so it doesn't need to go through any kind of processing at all. Uh, right. There is a way to, yeah. If you actually need to get a screenshot of video, you'll have to put your, you'll have to disable all hardware acceleration on your video card. Then it'll be really slow then it'll be actually going through the frame buffer onto your screen. So you can take screenshots of that. After. Okay, yeah. so that's that's one way of solving it is turn off hardware acceleration. Um, also, uh, I was re yeah, that makes sense now. On, on I was reading to the other day about uh, VNC, um, which I'm going to mention, talk about a little bit, um, is that they recommend turning off uh, hardware acceleration if you want to improve uh, VNC connections. Um, VNC is, of course, a, a remote remote screen. Uh, it's called it, Virtual Network Client is what it, it stands for. Or, yeah, the, the virtual Network Computing, actually. But. Well, yeah, the, the acronym for it is, is pretty... Is debatable. If you go online to Wikipedia, it'll be about a dozen different, you know, uh, definitions for it. Um, but basically, let's see. It works as a. It's open source. You can. It was developed by AT and T, but it's, it is open source. Uh, there are open source versions of it. You can download it and install that on your computer and basically remote control it from anywhere you need to. Um, just like you were right in front of it, you see your whole screen. Uh, you get to type and use your mouse just like you were in, right in front of it. And I actually use it quite quite extensively when when I'm helping out clients. I can actually I can I, I did this this week. I, I phone them on Skype and connect in via VNC, and I can help them with their computer from from anywhere in the world, uh, which is what I did this week. I helped someone out in New York when I was here in in, Ed, in Edmonton. So 
really great program. One thing that I, I read this week is that you can actually do what's called reverse VNC. And normally you have a, a client-server relationship, so you have a, a host computer that must open the port in their firewall and then a client computer that connects through that port. The problem you're trying with, to get the host to connect to the client here. Right, because the problem with that is that, you know, you get your grandma, which literally, you know, my grandma, you know, I need to connect to her computer to help her out, and you can't walk her through how to go into a router and change the ports and redirect this and maybe do a VPN in between. And I tried that, and it we eventually got it working, but I, it would have been useful to know this beforehand. You can do reverse VNC where... Um, the host that I'm trying to connect to connects to me first. So I open the port in my firewall because I know how to do it easily. They connect to me, and it does a three-way handshake, and you can then connect back to them uh, so that you can you can avoid all those connection reconfigurations. Um, really useful. haven't tried it just because I it's only in version 3 of VNC, and so I need to make sure all, all my versions are up to, up to par. Uh, but really neat, worth trying out if you're if you're looking into VNC. So, is there anything? Should we move on to our picks of the week, software picks of the week? I guess. Okay. Um, so for the, I think we should you have start... your Mac and Windows picks ready. Yeah. Well, you you're doing the wi Windows picks. I'm not right. doing the Mac picks. I, I, don't, to... I don't do <laughs> Windows. Um, really. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm torn between two applications. Uh, I've been really relying on my on my laptop this year for school uh, quite heavily and taking notes and everything in class on it. So one cool one cool program that I found is called Schoolhouse, uh, developed by this guy. You know, he just wanted to learn a bit of Cocoa, and, and it's really well done. It's very iTunes-y, so it works very well. A, little bit, a few little bugs I've noticed here and there. Um, but basically, it's you organize all your homework assignments, when they're due, um, your subjects, and take notes. Add one, one cool feature is like if you're doing a group project, you can add people's emails, you can link in files to it. Um, and of course, it's a great keep track of when things are due. And, and it'll even, you can write in your grades afterwards, and you can figure out your grades without getting a report card, which I don't know, we have schools on for that. But. Um, Pretty cool. The only thing is that it doesn't sync with iCal. Or I shouldn't say sync because it, usually you just create a, an iCal and then you subscribe to it. Um, but it doesn't do that. So what I, you know, I rely pretty heavily on my, on my mobile devices to, you know, I go back and forth between my computer and my mobile devices writing in uh, calendar entries. So I would really need those, that information to be uh, listed on my mobile device, which... It's the Axum now, but might be the iTouch later. Um, so that's a problem. It does do what's called uh, um, uh, class... What is it called? Class casting? Is that what it's called? Yeah, class casts. And it'll. it's basically an RSS feed. It doesn't really work, though. I tried it, and it said it published to the FTP server, but it didn't actually work. The guy might have only tested it on .Mac and then just sort of assumed that the rest of the libraries didn't work. doesn't really work. Um, so I wasn't that impressed. However, um, one of its import features is to what's called task list. So I Googled that. Task list is also a very good program. 
Um, very similar fi functionality um, in that it, it manages your homework and all that. Uh, but it does do calendar syncing. So you can sync into your iCal your, your um, due projects and, and all, all the things like that. Um, but it doesn't do... What doesn't it do? It even has a widget. So you can put widget information. You, it'll sync it to your dashboard widget, which I would definitely use. Um, but there's just... There's something. There's something that basically one of them does it does, and one of the other doesn't. Um, yeah, but both of them very good programs. Check them out. See uh, which one's best for you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't do class casting. It only can receive class casts. But then again, if it syncs with iCal, I don't what, really what care. What would you do with class cast? Like, how would you make a class cast? It's basically an RSS feed. Um, so and you would just make it by hand. No, no, no. It generates it. Like, the, the schoolhouse right. generates it, and then Tasklist can subscribe to ones generated by, by schoolhouse. Um, and basically, it provides all your assignment information, maybe your notes if you keep them in there. I, I probably wouldn't, but uh, all that information is, is aggregated into an RSS feed, and so people can subscribe to that if they happen to have schoolhouse or, or Tasklist on their computer, or just as a regular RSS feed, you can you can subscribe to that. Um doesn't work though, so I'll, like, I'll, I'll I guess probably. One one thing that I could could do is write a script for Schoolhouse so that it it parses that Schoolcast into an iCalendar. But you know, considering that Tasklist does it automatically in iCal, I'll probably just um, convert over to Tasklist. Tasklist is Tasklist is a bit more mature. It's five point one, and Schoolhouse is two point one. So there you go. Is the idea of Schoolhouse basically for like schools to adopt it and then have the students use that to check their to manage their assignments? It's sort of like school zone in a software form, and not really not. It it really isn't actually. It's great because it's it literally the description is school or Schoolhouse is designed for students that use their laptops in class, and it's like oh wow, this software is is for me, you know. So it it really works. It's it's none of the crap that you don't need and all the crap that you do. So I think it works really well. The I, feature I first noticed was that you know these people are thinking about the software that they're making. Backup features built right in. Um, you know, just really great stuff. There's things like you know contact. There's an instructor button. So you you enter your teacher's emails into it or add them from your address book. You know if they're already in there. And just fire PDFs off them. <laughs> exactly. You know, you can hand in assignments that way, or you can just say, um, it's funny, like you, you click the button if you have an assignment highlighted with a particular teacher, and it'll actually open up an email saying questions about, and then list, the, and then enter the task name, like it'll have the task name, there, and then you're ready to type the email. I mean, you're ready to go. So it's really neat, and of course, that would work with handing in the assignments as well if we ever end up and sending PDFs to our teachers, but I don't know if we'll ever do that. Uh, so really, two really great programs. Figure out which one's best for you if you're if you're one of those who likes to use their laptops in the in the classroom. Uh, really useful, and that's my Mac pick of the week. What is yours, Kevin, for the Windows platform? Well, mine isn't really that new release or anything, but I'm lately I've been trying to get like everyone who uses FTP to switch to WinSCP because it supports all the major 
formats. It uses supports secure file transfer, STP and FTP for legacy. Basically, if you, if you don't know already, SFTP is basically using FTP over SSH. And if you don't have an FTP server, it'll run right onto your uh, on your SSH server. STP is useful for for say older platforms or really limited platforms which only have SCP and at that SCP by itself doesn't include a file manager however it can also SSH into it and grab file listings that way so that's a really that's a really good feature it's free like most other FTP clients and yeah I and one of the really important features that I I've, well I find important is that you can do save to publish. Basically, like usually for normal FTP programmers, you would you would download the file onto your computer, open it, save it, make changes, and save it, and then just retransfer it back to the server. But when SCP handles this all for you, you would just click on the file, it would open it in your favorite editor, or you could actually save it on your, your computer if you preferred. But you would edit that, you would hit save, and it would automatically detect the changes in your file and automatically send it back to the server. Right, and that's... Um... On the Mac, if you're looking for functionality similar to that, I know Transmit does it. Um, it's not free, but it is cheap. It's about 30 bucks, um, And so that whenever you make it, you, you can do that as well. You basically say edit with program, and it'll detect changes. basically creates a temporary file on your computer uh, so that you can make changes to the file. As soon as it's saved, it'll re-upload it. And really great way if you just need to make small changes on your web server. WinSCP also offers uh, two interfaces. You can use if you're in, used to using Explorer, you can use it that way. Or if, you, if you're using if you're used, if you're used to using Commander-esque interfaces like most other FTP programs emulate, then you can also configure it that way during the setup. Um, it supports uh, it has a command line interface, so you can actually make batch files out of it. And yeah, the most important thing is that it supports SFTP. FileZilla has SFTP, but it's not like that good. It's still sort of buggy. I guess they're working on it, like all of the other open source projects. But yeah. yeah. So how is this different from the S S copy or or whatever it is that comes with the Putty bundle? Well, basically, um, that would like require you to enter the file names. Manually, right? So is is SCP just a command line tool? Yeah, SCP is mainly a command line tool. If you're using a, a Linux platform, if you've been using SCP for a while, then you'll know it's totally command line. There's no way to look into a directory. You have to know exactly what where you're getting the file from and where exactly you're putting the file there. Right. There's no like you can't see what's nearby. So it's it's similar to so basically the the secure copy or whatever that Putty has. Um, in their toolkit, that's just basically an, just a version of SCP base, for Windows. The base functionality. The so you just copy things. There. Right. Okay. This just gives you a graphical interface, and it also gives you a file manager with SCP. Right. Okay. Which is good if you're if you're say if you're copying things to like those router in a box things, and it has SCP, and it happens to have that SCP on it, they copy files to it that way. And and one of the main um, ways that they have been hacking the iPhone. Is is using secure copy? That's because these iPhones are running OS 10. Uh, you can just they basically make it so that you can run a mini drop bear SSH server, uh, and then they can secure copy all the files they want over to the machine over to the device. 
and also supports uh, all the public key authentication and everything. One thing about it is that it blows up if your if your server has a really long welcome message, like a, a like a banner. Like HTR does. <laughs> yeah, it totally blows up the line. So you might want to keep it pretty short. Otherwise, like it'll tell you that it's not accepting it. SFTP and I'll tell you that it's not running a server and this and that. So okay. that's one of the problems I've encountered while using it. But otherwise, it's really good for basically drag and drop file transfer and live editing. Excellent. Well, um, I think that wraps up our topics for this episode. Uh, do you have anything, any last minute comments? Not really. <laughs> Okay, well, this has been Duck Podcast episode, episode four. Episode four. We, are, of course, I, I just wanted to mention that we are a bit day late this week. Um, it's supposed to be on Tuesday, but Tuesday we we're all busy doing presentations again. So uh, we might be doing it Wednesday because Tuesday, I don't know. Anyways, we hope to get it out Tuesday or Wednesday of every week, um, and we will see you next week. Hopefully, I'm Joel Adria. Kevin Lau, we're the Duck Podcast. Yeah. Duck.